0: Team, we are very excited about today's podcast. You will hear, in just a moment, you will hear me JB speaking with uh, one of our go to partners, Justin Galan. So, Justin is a naturopath in Hamilton. He's been practicing for over 11 years and has worked with clients of all different uh, backgrounds, whether it's athletic or our general population, male, female, young, uh, elderly, all sorts of experiences. And what we're doing today is we're going through my blood panel. So, we're digging in on some of the key minerals, uh, water soluble, fat soluble vitamins, how these things are interrelated, what they can tell us about our health and wellness. I will give you guys a Disclaimer. Um, I talk a lot about overtraining and I don't want to freak anybody out. I mean, F45 has been designed to be very scalable. And, you know, when we're coming in for 45 minutes a day and coming in five to six times a week, generally we're okay, unless our blood work's telling us otherwise. When I talk about overtraining, what I'm talking about is, or overreaching, if you will, is my fitness regimen which consists of about four to five two hour matches of tennis a week and probably four to five exercise sessions right so i feel like i have it dialed i manage it quite well but as you'll learn in this podcast there are opportunities for me someone who's getting that much activity and then juxtapositioning that with a rather sedentary full-time job right so Dig in, um, get curious, Uh, definitely DM us any questions you have. Uh, If you want to contact Justin, we give you information at the end of the show. We'll put it in the show notes, but he's a wealth of knowledge and he will meet with you virtually or in person and we implore you to do it because what you can't measure, you cannot manage. So listen up, here we go. All right, dude, um, let's... See where I'm at. All right, let's break it down. So where are we starting? So we'll
1: go through today's stuff and then we'll compare it to previous. Awesome. I think that's a good idea. So this blood work was done September 15th, 2022.
0: You might want that a little closer
1: to your mouth. At seven thirty so in the morning. No, that's okay. You, you might go. have to keep reminding me. Um it feels weird to just be cramming something right here, right? I know, like, dude. Well, <laughs> well, this
0: uh podcast recording technology was supposed to come with this like room microphone and Andy and I tested it last night and I wasn't confident and there's no way I'm doing another podcast with you and not actually getting the content so I'm trying to you know use all these different methods here (laughs) all right next time we'll
1: just get a crowd
0: yeah so what were you you were saying about the interator variability factor like we did the tests almost at the same time or something
1: Yeah, that's right. This Well, this one was done September 15th and then... 2022. 2022. We did do one in between in March 2022. I do like to do it uh, semi-annually because then you can get an idea of how the winter is affecting you, especially your vitamin D and white blood cell levels. Yeah, definitely. We'll do one like February again yeah.
0: or maybe March just to keep it consistent. Yeah.
1: And then, yeah, the time before that, It was September 14th, 2021. Which is crazy because I went
0: to European trips before, right after both of those. Because what I like to do is capture like a snapshot of when I'm in pristine health versus when I go to Europe and eat a bunch of, uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, they tell us that that food's pretty natural for us. It it doesn't have all the preservatives. So I don't know. Maybe I was healthier when I came back. Honestly. Um, All right. So we, to
1: start, we have your fasting glucose, which was a 5.6 and the range is 3.6 to 6. And we are going to talk about glucose regulation today um, because if you were to think of that number, it does seem higher as Mm -hmm. well as your HbA1c, we have seen that is a little bit on the higher end. But with you, because we test the insulin, we can see that it's not related to insulin resistance at all. And the way that I've explained this previously is that in athletes and you are a prime maybe you don't play uh, well you play well, tennis, I play tennis right? four times a week yeah, so yeah. this is interesting yeah so you could compare yourself to any other pro athlete you mean i'm working there? as
0: hard as them i just might not be performing as well as them <laughs> yeah that's right to be fair you're
1: probably working harder than them playing that's right training. inefficiently
0: no because i'm inefficient out there that's why <laughs>
1: yeah true true um And so there's two components to the glucose that I believe are having an effect on you. That's raising your levels a little bit more, not putting you at risk or anything, but making them seem higher than I think your uh, preferred optimal level would be. And one of those is whenever you are doing strenuous workouts, you are turning glycogen into glucose Mm -hmm. from the muscles. So that is a big part of it. Now I am
0: training, I am doing the blood work uh, fasted. Not after exercise, to be clear for everyone listening and like for yourself to know. So, right. I don't know if that's more of a chronic thing or whether it's like I would have had to exercise that day to be releasing glycogen.
1: Well, I believe because uh, there have been times where you have done it after exercise as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's good to hear that. How many days before? Typically, I will
0: never do these blood tests. Right like down after down. A workout. Okay. Like I'm always doing them. They're always at like seven in the morning as soon as the lab opens because I want like myself to be in fastest state, um, not have moved around a lot. That's also when I measure my blood pressure too, just for that consistency.
1: Okay. Yeah, and that is important because the exercise can throw quite a few things off on the spot. Another reason why I think your levels are a bit higher than expected is just the amount of stress you go through, like running a business the physiological stress that your body goes through as well, because exercise is a stressor to the system. That's how we adapt and build muscle and gain endurance. And um, that physiological stress gets you to pump out cortisol. And then cortisol goes to the liver to break glycogen into glucose, similar to when you work out. And you break the glycogen and the muscles into glucose. So I think you kind of have a double whammy going on there.
0: Is there not like a sort of circadian rhythm cortisol effect where cortisol is highest in the morning and then it sort of trickles off throughout the day? Will we be yeah. seeing that like come into play here at all? Potentially. Uh, but all of the fasted glucose levels
1: would be like you're comparing yourself to everybody else whose cortisol and glucose would be in the right. same situation. Right, right, right. right. So, okay. Um. So yeah, it's not at a point where it would be causing any issues or anything. And I, I would be interesting to like compare your levels to somebody who's similar, like maybe another F45 trainer, like entrepreneur, I'll have to find yeah, one yeah. of those. Entrepreneur, Male. tennis player, go get her. Well,
0: yeah. I can think of someone who's a real estate agent I, and he also plays tennis. So I, I'm thinking of him right now. Um, he seems pretty chill, but I know he works hard and is pretty stressed. So yeah, and he's yeah. got young ones at home. Um, But, you know, I think, you know, you make a great point about the insulin sensitivity and I'm always thankful for that because obviously, but, you know, we also talk with our members a lot about not trying to out train a bad diet and the idea of chronic versus in the moment. So if in the moment I'm doing a good job sort of becoming insulin sensitive because I'm training so hard, is that still a good long-term strategy? Because if my blood is sticky because the HB1C is up and like, you know, my my glucose is on that, that threshold, is... You know, is that causing sort of inflammation on a day to day basis? And over time, like if I didn't have an active week, am I kind of in a problematic state? Like these are the things I think about over 20 and 30 years. Like even though I'm insulin sensitive because of my training and I have muscle mass, should we we be focusing on bringing that level down right now?
1: Yeah, it is a good point. And one thing I can say to put your mind at ease is none of these numbers are at a point where they would be causing any issues. If your numbers were here and you were eating, you know, lots of sugar, lots of carbs, not exercising, these numbers would be a warning that you have to kind of switch things around to start bringing them down. So they're kind of more in a yellow zone, but they're nowhere near the point where they would ever be affecting your physiology negatively. Um, And one example would be, let's say if your glucose and your HbA1c were in the double digits, that's when they'll affect like your vision and your brain and be causing the oxidative stress. But, um, at the levels that you're at are completely fine. I just bring it up because they're on the higher end of that range, right? Yeah. I
0: mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I struggle with, um, as an individual, especially in a work from home environment, I actually got dialed with this when I worked in the office, when I was at salesforce.com, I got really good at not, Snacking on the junk like the kind bars. Oh, kind bars good in and of itself. Well, it's a less bad option, but when you have three of them because you're working at a cubicle and you can just go get the kind bar and they're unlimited, mm-hmm. you know, I had a problem with that. And then I, you know, dialed that in and I wasn't eating any processed food while I was out. But now that I'm at home, not that we have processed food, but I can get a smart suite when I shouldn't. That should be like the end of the day you know, treat or the Daryl's bar, which I know I showed you pictures of Daryl's bars before I came in because the Daryl's bar makes getting high quality protein with minimal ingredients easy. But when you fire back three of them in a row, right. you know, I get gassy bloated and I'm like, man, I'm just eating too much all day long and I'm utilizing my workouts as a way to sort of me ma- in my muscle mass as a way to maintain. But like, am I still wreaking havoc on a day-to-day basis that's going to accumulate over time is like one of my concerns.
1: Right. And we, the best way to judge that is through that HbA1c because the Hb, HbA1c is a three-month average of your blood sugar. Right. And if that was, let's say, up in the like 6.57 range, then I would say you are doing that. But just given the amount that you... Well, given how physically active you are, the three Daryl's bars are not causing you any issues and i would say that bloating is most likely i believe i've i read through it and there's there is four I grams think, of maltitol. fiber oh, okay but, uh, the sugar alcohols are a very common like same with the smart sweets. If yeah. you have a little bit too many, there's a little bit too much sugar alcohol on your system and then you'll get pretty bloated. And really? I didn't
0: here. think Daryl's bars had sugar alcohols.
1: Yeah. I think it was maltitol that I saw in there. Huh. There's one of those in there. Okay. And those are usually fine if you have one, but if you just the accumulation of the sugar alcohols gets you feeling like that, right All So right. Yeah. Um, and then we have, I tested your calcium levels looked, which looked perfectly fine. Main reason why I test those is just to make sure that it's okay for you to take vitamin D. If your calcium levels are on the high end and you take vitamin D, you could be at risk of getting kidney stones. Hmm. So you're completely fine with that. So
0: interestingly enough, I was happy with my vitamin D reading. Maybe you want to share with everyone for their benefit kind of where I was in the range and what yeah. the healthy range is and sort of what you're seeing in the market. In the market. When am I in a business meeting? <laughs> um, <laughs> the health market yeah yeah uh out there the ether the community whatever you want to say but um i was not supplementing with vitamin d this summer now i will take a super dose if i'm on a plane or i feel like i'm kind of feeling like i've i've challenged myself so much that maybe i'm getting an upper respiratory tract infection type Mm. symptom like whether i'm stuffed up or whatever um i will kind of have the 10 drops right but all summer leading up to that, I didn't. And now I've started to supplement with like four drops a day if I'm not getting out for a walk. And I bet, and, and I'd love your advice on this, of course, as my practitioner, but next month I'll probably start regularly every day supplementing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that is a very good idea. And your levels are great considering you haven't supplemented this summer. I test everybody's vitamin D cause I know how important it is for our immune system and mood and prevention of cancer and osteoporosis and all that good stuff. Um, so the range for vitamin D is 76 to 250. And you're right smack dab in the middle at 160. And uh, I would say the average that I see even during the summer is way lower than you would expect. Wow. Like below, I would say the average would be around 50 and that's midsummer. And even people who are getting outside.
0: And so what is someone like What's the life of someone who has a 50 versus someone who has 160? Like, how does that show up for them and support them? And why is it important?
1: I would say somebody who's at a 50, they're feeling just lousy in general, like low motivation, low energy. Uh, They will have a harder time fighting a virus or infection off. Like it might take two weeks versus three days, depending on your level. Hmm. Um, And that's not, you know, a cold, hard thing, but I do see them that it's, there's a delay in healing for sure. Uh, and then you can get more discomfort in the muscles, joints, and bones. I have actually had patients with like extreme hip pain and other different pains, like tendonitis pains, where once we got their vitamin D levels up, those pains actually went away, which Hmm. is amazing because they're taking like Tylenol and Advil, but not getting to the root of what's going on. Right. Smoke and fire. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I like to see the vitamin D optimally between 120 to 160 all year round. I do recommend getting it tested around November, December to see what your levels are at heading into the winter, even if you supplement. That's a good point because I have so many patients who say, well, I take vitamin D, so I don't need to test it. Right. But that is completely wrong. We want to make sure that is the right amount for you.
0: Right. Like Andy, for instance. Right. I mean, we know that Andy and she wouldn't mind me sharing this like. She'll supplement just like I do, if not more. And she struggles to kind of hit those levels. And she's outside.
1: Yeah. And I, I, there's so many components. There's the absorption. There's the type of vitamin D you take. Right. There's the dosage. There's your genetics. And instead of guessing, it's just best to test regularly. Yeah. I think
0: she, and it'd be interesting to see where her blood work is right now, because I think she does better with the sunlight versus, you know, taking it orally, uh, the supplement. Right. I don't know if that means anything. Yeah, through the melanin or whatever it is that's producing it. Yeah, it's tough
1: to say, like, if that is a genetic thing or the which supplement she's taking or whatever. Uh, And this is good, too, because when you said that you kind of do those higher doses of vitamin D as needed, the the top ceiling of this reference range is two hundred and fifty. And you're at 160, so there's lots of wiggle room before you're gonna get like hypercalcium, like too much calcium in the blood, or any negative effects from too much vitamin D. I I shouldn't stay on vitamin D for too long, but a couple warning things are: you don't want to be taking it blindly because if your levels are high or your calcium's high you can actually get kidney stones from taking vitamin mm.
0: D. this isn't so interesting I'll go through your points and then i'll give you some feedback on people who ask me questions about this stuff
1: okay okay i just got one more point with it yeah. is i usually boost the levels like if you're low i'll boost with straight up d3 liquid i find the tablets are not as effective as the liquid because the liquid absorbs right on your tongue into your bloodstream and doesn't depend on your digestion and then to maintain, I recommend a D3K2 because the vitamin K that's mm. combined with D tells calcium to go in the bones and the teeth instead of the kidneys and the arteries. I got to get
0: some of that. I've been uh, meaning to uh, tell Andy, the supplement shopper, in the family that we need some K2 in the house. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I'll get her on that case. So it's interesting, I was going to say about, you know, whether it's taking testosterone-boosting supplements like a tribulus or whether, um, you know, it's taking actual TRT therapy. People come and ask me those questions. Now, of course, we know that I have a good understanding, but I'm not technically qualified to give that advice. But what's interesting to me is that a lot of people aren't getting the test done to know where their calcium is. So you and I are going through this right now. I've shared my supplements with you. I'm going to talk as we go throughout this, about what I've been doing for activity. In fact, maybe I'll go there next. So you can use that as a reference as you're going through the rest of the measures. Um, but, these things are important to everyone listening right now. It's so critical that you um, have a full integrated picture of where you're at before you start throwing things like slamming down vitamin D without K2 or having 12 drops versus four. I mean, I think vitamin D specifically—it's a fat-soluble hormone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or vitamin—is um, it considered? It is a no? hormone. Yeah. Too, yeah. Um, and so you know, it stores over time, and there's been very various, various messaging about whether. There, it's so difficult to get into toxic ranges. Then there's people that say you need to be very careful because you don't want to get into toxic ranges. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, or maybe toxicity is related to how it impacts things like calcium and puts you at risk for other factors.
1: Yeah, there there are quite a few different components. The toxicity is a real thing. Like I've had, especially in the beginning of my career. I'm in. I'm heading into my eleventh year of my career. Congratulations! Thank you. But I have had patients here and there who were susceptible to kidney stones. Like it was in their family and
0: Amanda's um, one of those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would have back then, I didn't know about the D three K two combination and how it would prevent them and to test calcium every time. And there were a couple of patients where like I was responsible for them getting kidney stones. Hmm. And that obviously affects me because I don't want to be harming my patients. And you might not see that in a, in a research study, right? right. Like who's going to fund that type right. of research study. You have to be very so, mindful
0: when we're throwing this generic advice out to the, to the broader yeah, community, right?
1: Yeah. There's so many things that, and that is why it is important to work with a, a professional so you can test all the right things. Same thing with zinc. Like I think we may have spoke about that before, where I was
0: in the upper ranges. Yeah, and
1: I, I saw lots of patients. Fortunately for you, the zinc didn't deplete copper back when you were right. high. But I had a lot of patients just mega dosing zinc because of immune effects. COVID, yeah, because immune effects with COVID blindly not checking their zinc or copper levels, and they were causing a copper deficiency, which caused. Neutropenia, which is low white blood cells weakening mm. their immune system, doesn't that
0: impact speech as well. Speech? That can impact, like, impact like neurological, like speech, or is the it the speech development? Deficiency? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, there's something potential. I
1: heard. There's lots of roles copper plays in the body. So yeah, just long story short, make sure you test, don't guess, especially when you're working with minerals and fat-soluble vitamins that will store in your system. Right? Before
0: we move on from fat-soluble vitamins, when you see my level at 160. And we talked about HB1C being an average of three months. How quickly, like, you know, some of these measures, it's about like a snapshot. And, you know, my glucose could be way lower later in the day or based on doing activity, right? Yeah. Is it the same thing for vitamin D or those, is, is there more of a trend there where it's like that 160 is pretty representative of where I've been for weeks and where I will be for weeks? It doesn't change as quickly or? Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you'll store it
1: and you'll be kind of using it, even if you didn't get sun exposure um actually i just thought of another good point we're gonna we're gonna go on <laughs> yeah man
0: this is what podcasts are we, we tangent
1: yeah yeah so what i see in my practice is patients who are getting a lot of sun exposure and great vitamin d in the summer if they don't supplement in the winter they're worse off compared hmm. to somebody who hardly got any sun exposure interesting and i believe because i see the same thing if somebody comes over from africa or hotter sure. places in uh, asia Closer to the equator. Sure. They'll be here for a month or two and their vitamin D levels will drop down to like an huh. 18 or It's like a, a
0: homeostasis thing sort of? Yeah, where well, it's I like think we get used to burning condition? through a certain amount according ah.
1: to what we're getting. And then all of a sudden we have that rebound deficiency. The right? metabolism,
0: the feedback loop of yeah. vitamin D. Yeah, huh.
1: exactly. So, and same thing with like roofers and landscapers. If you test them in December and they haven't been supplementing, they're in like the wow. teens, right? Yeah. It's almost
0: like taking like, you know, Exogenous testosterone and then losing the ability to produce it yourself or that's like right. kind of in- govern it internally So yeah, this is this is interesting and vitamin d as we know is is so important So yeah, and I think cool.
1: I I skipped past the question about oh, yeah the how long of a time it represents for I I don't know a cold hard stat about how long it is, but I would say it's a Um, it would be a couple months that it would represent Okay, because I do see a drop within well, a couple good months to know time. Yeah, um, and then the next one here is magnesium. So I'm not the biggest fan of the magnesium blood tests, whether it's the serum or red blood cell magnesium, just because we store so much more magnesium in our muscles than we do mm. the blood. The only reason I test this is just to make sure if somebody's taking magnesium that they're not overdosing on it or overdoing it, as well as to make sure there's not a crazy magnesium deficiency, which you rarely ever see, but there are so- certain conditions that. Um, Uh, going back to vitamin D. So if vitamin D upregulates calcium, calcium depletes magnesium. And sometimes you can create a magnesium deficiency by supplementing Hmm. with vitamin D. Interesting. So a lot of cramp muscle cramping can happen like halfway through the winter. And that's usually what that is as well as dehydration. Um, Your high sensitivity C-reactive protein was picture perfect. Wait, where was
0: my magnesium? Is it okay?
1: Yeah, it's right smack dab in the middle. So I
0: take, just for reference, guys, I take bio-optimizers, three to four tablets a night. So I didn't send you that one, Justin, but it seems to be putting me where I need to be.
1: Yeah. And I have that from before. I think you get a decent amount too. It's like 600 milligrams. Do I something.
0: run through it, but through training, you like must. Is it, how, how do I use the magnesium? I guess is a question. Yeah. Stress and physical activity are the two okay. main ones. Stressing sure. the body um, is going to have us run through it and we need a higher amount of exogenous magnesium or magnesium in our diet if we're going to be crazy active and stressed out. Exactly. And
1: cortisol depletes magnesium. So even even mental stress can bring that magnesium down.
0: And is it, does it work the opposite way? So if I'm doing a good job of magnesium supplementation, I'm helping myself manage the effects of cortisol.
1: Yeah. And you'll probably feel that as well. Like they, you know, they have natural calm out there because it calms everything down to type of magnesium. Um, and The One of the reasons why I brought that up, too, is I have patients who get their magnesium tested and they don't want to take magnesium because it's within the normal range. Mm -hmm. But I always say, like, okay, if they have calf cramping or foot cramping to just trust me and try the magnesium and it gets rid of it most of the time. Interesting. And so uh, even though it's within that range, you have to think that range is just made up. Well, not a made up stat, but it's a stat like all of these where 95% of the people they tested were within those two numbers, mm. it wasn't representative of their health status.
0: At Interesting. All, right? mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Hey team, Andy here. Did you know that magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all aspects of health? It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in your body. Yet over 80% of the population don't get the minimum amounts of magnesium from their diet alone. Magnesium deficiency can increase all disease risks and keep you from performing optimally. By optimizers, Magnesium Breakthrough has all seven different types of magnesium for optimal absorption. Plus, the new formula has magnesium vitamin cofactors. To get yours today, head to biooptimizers.com and use the code COACHANDY to get 10% off
1: The next one here. So this is a measure of inflammation of the heart or coronary arteries specifically. And this is called high sensitivity C reactive protein or HSCRP. And this is actually this test is one of the reasons why I believe you prefer going to Dyna because Life Labs actually scrap this test. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that, but okay, you know, well, well, it's cool. we'll call it a good miss, just like in golf. golf. That way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well,
0: this is one of the ones you know with my family history that I'm like obsessive about because yeah, you know, just for context for everyone listening, we've been doing echocardiograms, uh, we've been doing we don't we've done a stress test because I was having some g- pains, and sometimes when you're having pains, like I get them in my elbow now, from, I think from tennis, it must be, but even like. Around my heart, I'm like, is that an intercostal pain? Is that stress? Is it just because I'm rotating to the left a lot? Mm-hmm. And you don't know, and it gets a little scary when you have a family history. So I did all these tests; they all came back great. And you know, but sometimes you hear that, oh, everything came out great. I don't understand why you had a heart attack, right? Yeah. So Justin and I, we really obsessed about the CRP one that he's going to tell you about for us.
1: Yeah, and so this test, as long as it's nowhere near a two to a three you're good. Yours is a 0.5. So there's basically undetectable inflammation, or I should say there's next to no inflammation in that area. But if you were around a two or a three, we would have some work to do because that means that there are, there's lots of inflammation in that area. So that's very reassuring. And this is also a test. So for cardiovascular health, there's an online calculator called the Reynolds Risk Score. Mm. And the Reynolds Risk Score, you plug in your HSCRP, your total cholesterol, your HDL, your blood pressure, your gender, age family history of heart disease and then it gives you your percentage risk of having a heart event in the next 10 years wow
0: well, we need to actually uh next time we test in march let's do our, do my cholesterol guy. i know we didn't yeah. do it this time because i'd love to plug it into the reynolds and see i have
1: done it before for you i may not have brought it up but okay. uh yeah we'll I'll dig that up uh, sure. and we'll test the cholesterol the next time for sure
0: and he was telling me she's like you know the more tests you do, the more expensive this gets. Just right, be right. mindful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because this is the tragedy, right? Is that like, you know, our public healthcare system doesn't really give us this level of coverage. And that that is a tragedy because this is important stuff. Like we need to, if we're going to be preventative with our health and understand if we're over under training or like whether we're doing the right stuff, we need to have this insight. That's part of the story. Yeah. And I've countless times I've had patients
1: come in and I'd ask and they'd say, oh, I did blood work and uh, they said everything was fine. And when I look at the blood work, it was basically just like a CBC and kidney function. And it's like, yeah, those things were fine. But what about all the other things? Right? Yeah. Uh, So I do go uh, through. I'm I'm very thorough with my blood work for sure. Uh, And then we have the iron panel. So this time around, Cause your iron panel has bounced around a little bit and it makes sense. Like you do experiment with, you know, going more red meat, less red meat, donating blood.
0: Like I haven't donated blood. Things. It's something I want to do. Yeah. Um, so right
1: yet. now I wouldn't because your iron panels on the lower end. Okay. And so if you look at your serum iron, which is a snapshot of how much iron is your, in your bloodstream at this point, this is not your ferritin, mm-hmm. which is iron storage. The, the serum iron, the range uh, that Dynacare uses is 7 to 29, and you're down at 11. And then the more important number, because that's just kind of a 24-hour um, judge of how much iron you have. Yep. But the more important number is your saturation. This is how saturated the red blood cells are with iron. The range is 20 to 50%, and you're right at the bottom at 20%. Hmm. And you want to be closer to like a 35, like right in the middle there, to feel good energy, to have better stamina, like for endurance
0: exercise. It's interesting because I absolutely crush with endurance exercise usually, but maybe I don't even know what good looks like, what my potential is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you beat a record in like something this year...
0: Well, I find, you know, what's interesting is in, in F45 world, we use the Lionheart heart rate monitoring system. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is a relative measure based on my max heart rate calculation, right? Was that called a carvonin? No. What's that? What is the carvonin again? I'm thinking back to school. The carvonin equation.
1: I'm not sure. I'm not it's like cardiac
0: that output, maybe? I don't know. I'm going back to my exercise physiology days from like 15 years ago. longer than that actually i'm being generous to myself (laughs) but anyways um so the lionheart's telling me like it gives you points it's a gamification to encourage you to have a personal best workout okay depending on your stroke volume and how fat where your max heart rate is and how fast your heart beats and how much blood you pump you may have more pumps in a workout than me and i may get a lower score relative to 45 points based on my max heart rate just because my heart doesn't pump as much right? right right so it's a bit botched that way but at least we know that what good looks like for us. If I'm typically a 44 on my 10 out of 10 workout day and I'm hitting a 42, I know I'm having a mediocre day. If I hit a 46, I took myself to that near death experience, right? (laughs) So I'm wondering though, if there is sort of a threshold I'm hitting because my oxygen deliverability um, because Mm -hmm. of this iron situation. Yeah, it'll be um,
1: interesting to see the difference once we boost that up a little bit. So how right? how
0: should we tackle that? Because I don't know that Andy and I have purposely taken or added red meat out. I know I've convinced her to have more chicken, not because I was afraid of red meat, but just because I like my Greek bowls with chicken and she makes a darn good Greek bowl. Yeah, yeah. But like when it comes to, you know, red meat, like, do you think it's a dietary intervention or should we start talking about supplementation?
1: Just because you do so much physical training, I do think it would be worth um, and I don't usually recommend supplementation for men often with iron um, unless they are doing like marathons and stuff like that. Right. So for you, I think it would be a good experiment to implement like a liquid iron and then you wouldn't have to worry so much about completely changing your diet
0: should we test like soon after we do that just to make sure we're not getting concerning for sure And we'll
1: probably retest uh december because then we'll be able to check your vitamin d and what we will do your cholesterol then as well and what um, about,
0: um, so uh, you know, one thing for you to know, we haven't talked about this yet. Like what, what is Justin up to these days physically? Right. Cause it's changing a bit. So
1: talking about me or talking about you talking
0: about me. Yeah. We, for <laughs> everyone listening, we both have the same name. Uh, we'll tell you how to reach out to Justin after and kind of get yourself booked in for a session like this. As yeah. you can see, it's very insightful.
1: And my physical activity is nowhere near <laughs> as much as yours. So,
0: so, <laughs> so for me, I'm obsessed with tennis now. And so, you know, I will play tennis four to five times a week one to two hours and it's good tennis so it's like active like i'm drenched i'll lose about three or four pounds of water weight in a tennis match when i come home and weigh myself i go from 196 to 192 when i get home and um i will often like this morning i'll do like a 6 a.m f45 workout before or maybe i do an afternoon strength workout not always but i am at least playing tennis four to five times a week and i'm doing strength training three to four times a week and i'm sleeping six and a half hours a night my average has been six hours, 20 minutes, six hours, 30 minutes a night. So, I mean, there's the facts. Okay. So that's what I'm doing. And when I'm out on the tennis court, I'm competing. I'm not trying to manage my energy levels. Yeah. 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 That's a lot. Right. So am I burning through iron? Is that a thing? Like, can you use it up? Kind of like we talked about magnesium.
1: For sure. And that's when I, whenever I have, you know, marathon triathlon runners come in and they are bonking out, they call it right. Um, it is common for them to have iron deficiency, even if they are beef eaters. Um, so yeah, you do burn through a lot more iron that way. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how much better you feel because you're only comparing yourself to, what's going on at that time. And now that we have these parameters and this is the first time we've seen this, right? Um, previously your iron panel was picture perfect. So I'm not sure what the difference it's would probably be more now. tennis. It's gotta more be tennis. more tennis. Yeah, it could be. For I sure. mean,
0: I do feel a little sleepy right now being here with you and it's not your fault. It's <laughs> just like this time of day. Like I find that like I do have the 2 PM crash.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So we'll see where that iron gets you. And then, uh, but yeah, just as a PSA, don't supplement with iron if you're male and you're not testing <laughs> public it, service <laughs> announcement, right? Is that what that means? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not, not prostate specific antigen. It's a public service. <laughs> um, and so th- yeah, with men, because we don't menstruate iron accumulates in our system. Mm. And if you're not exercising enough to burn through that iron, it can be toxic. Mm. I have a condition where I have too much iron. It's I terrible. Talked about that. And, uh, but with females, there's a little bit more Liberty because every time you have a period, you'll lose a bunch of iron and that kind of keeps you in maintenance a lot easier. Right. Um, and yeah, the iron plays, that can make you more susceptible to restless leg syndrome, hair loss, low stamina, fatigue, restless sleep, lots of things. Hmm. Uh, they I do find, Iron No, Justin, man.
0: what's interesting, um, I've noticed my deep sleep, like, Andy and I both wear the oil ring, we yeah. know it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good, best out there, and I find that I have, I can get my heart rate variability really high, especially when I'm not eating before bed, and I'm not overtraining, I get it like, it's like 62, 65, like especially when, yeah, and, yeah, and by the way, for everyone listening, heart rate variability is highly personal, but I'm saying, like, I can get it above my baseline, which can be around 50. I can get it up in the high 60s, which is a measure of recoverability, uh, you know, when I'm not overtraining, when I'm not eating poor bed and all that. But even with that, even on good nights, when my HRV is really strong. Um, my deep sleep really struggles. I mean, I really have a tough time, through all intents and purposes, how I'm measuring, getting more than an hour of deep sleep. Yeah. Even when I sleep for, like, eight hours. Right. Um, my REM sleep, not so difficult. I get, like, green check marks on REM sleep often. I get well over an hour, almost two hours in that eight-hour sleep scenario. But I cannot get in that deep sleep. And I'm wondering if this – I'm wondering how this is all connected, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see if I'm there's a restless difference.
0: leg syndrome and yeah, in sleep, yeah. interrupted sleep. I'm wondering if there's a connection with the iron.
1: Yeah, and uh, I would also experiment between not having, you know – carbs or junk snack before, or junk snacks before bed but having the protein before bed can actually help that deep sleep
0: too. really yeah i didn't know that
1: yeah because if you're tapped out like if you've burned through all the energy and your blood sugar starts to come down in the middle of the night our response to low blood sugar is cortisol production right cortisol blocks melatonin Liberate. right and if melatonin is blocked you're not going to have a deep sleep so it could potentially be that, that you're burning through a bit too much and not getting enough.
0: So based on protein. that, why wouldn't I have a carb? Why would I have protein? Because I've heard about carbs before bed can help with sleep. So why are you recommending protein?
1: Well, the protein, just because it's going to be broken down over a longer course of time. Because uh, you're not going to be eating for the rest of We're talking gluconeogenesis? like that the whole stuff. Yeah. Even just burning through that protein. Because as an, as an example, like if you had a rice cake before bed sure. versus a handful of nuts and seeds, the nuts and seeds are going to last you much longer, sure. right? So it's more of the preventing reactive hypoglycemia in the middle of the night. Um,
0: so no more... Fuzzicles and like popsicles and all the crap I eat before bed. Maybe
1: dip them in some protein oh, powder. <laughs>
0: I mean, see, I don't practice everything I preach guys, but no, I, we are pretty good, but I do struggle at that time of day. I feel like I run out of the willpower. And as much as I, you know, I'm trying to coach everyone that, you know, ultimately our best chance at weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight is through adding muscle, not herculean amounts of muscle, but having a strong muscular base, right? And we should think that way versus trying to outwork our calories every day. Mm-hmm. That being said, we all have our vestigial kind of, you know, prehistoric primitive ideas or things that we've taught ourselves. And one of mine is, well, I'm working so hard that I can eat whatever I want. I'm still in university essentially, right? And albeit it may be true, I don't know that it's a good long-term strategy when you start hearing some of these things. Right, right. The deep sleep, the sticky blood, albeit it is not a huge problem right now, could become one.
1: Yeah, and we're setting ourselves up for our future selves. So when we're 60, we want to be the best that we can be because we're not going to be as... You know, resilient and, and healthy then, right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think about my grazing activities, right? And I think about the fact that you're always sending your, your insulin, your, your body, the fed state signal. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean over time, right? Right. Because I, I feel like that's one thing that I, if I could dial that in, that I'm not always in a fed state, that maybe that leads to some changes in some of these measures that could be better.
1: But if you go in the complete opposite direction, and let's say if you're doing OMAD, like one meal a day, and you're constantly in the fasted state, that's also stressful. You got it, especially with my activity levels. Yeah, so we have to find a nice balance. So I am
0: kind of eating like an athlete should because I'm sort of subjecting my body to that, right? Yeah, and you could
1: be craving the carbs and sugar before bed because you've burnt through that energy. Well, the
0: thing is, and this is the, the golden question, is like, you know, does being athletic equal being healthy? Is it the same right. thing? And we know that being athletic is more about performance. Does that lead to the best kind of cancer and heart health outcomes over time? Maybe, maybe not, right? Probably not.
1: Well, I'm going to classify you as healthy based on this <laughs> blood work. Let's but, get back into it. Okay, Sorry. Okay. I, I, um, I, 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 you're, I tangented there. <laughs> no, that's, that, a word. that's us, man. Um, that's the Justin curse. We just go on about everything. Um, B12 was optimal. And your B12 has been up and down over time. Right now it's 770.
0: And I I haven't been doing that much oral supplementation.
1: Yeah. And B12 is something that does store in your liver and you have B you have had B12 shots in the past. Yes. And we've seen your B12 above, uh, 1500. And so there is a chance that, you know, you have some stored in your liver, you're getting some through supplementation and you're right at the perfect level.
0: Uh, You know, I heard that B12 is actually connected to the recoverability too. Like if you're overtraining, you're also burning through that B12. And actually when I went to buy some B12, sublingual B12, a really smart uh, woman over at the Metro in Stony Creek on 50 Road, she's brilliant. And uh, she really helps me with supplements and she's actually kind of trying to sell me less. She's, and she's like, "Hey, look, dude! Like, you probably want to use the B twelve on like hard training days rather than just like every day, right? I don't know if the, you have an opinion, maybe a convergent opinion, or whether that makes or that or an opposite opinion. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I would say main things with B twelve is uh, usually make sure that it's sublingual, just so it you know you don't depending on your digestion under the tongue, it. yeah." Um I'm usually making sure that we test because if somebody's B12's at like a nine hundred or a thousand, I'll get them to take a break from it for a while because it you can get too much of it. I know a lot of people say you pee it out, but it's not actually true. It stores in our liver. Um in on both ends so you if you get too much b12 like if you're above that 1200 for a consistent amount of time you can get like zapping in the extremities it's a weird sensation and then if you're too low your extremities will fall asleep much quicker so 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 what does that mean zapping i had an interesting phenomenon okay so i had
0: this thing the other day i'm playing tennis it's cold out and i feel like my apple watch is shocking me now maybe it was but like it was in this wrist, it was right here, and it felt like I was getting this low-grade electrical shock. Yeah, is I've that heard what zapping that. Is? This is? Probably like the fifth time I've well, actually with Apple heard Watches that. specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Huh. Yeah, I don't think it's been with the Fitbits at all. So it's yeah.
0: not. Uh, it's not zapping. It's actually electrocution. and maybe it's the sweat with the
1: yeah i don't know yeah Yeah, the salty sweat (laughs) yeah yeah um one thing to keep an eye on with b12 is it does get tested very commonly through conventional doctors but their bottom range is 138 and it actually says um oh it doesn't say on this one but as a lot of them will say it 138 or below is when you'll start to get nerve damage Hmm. and that shouldn't be the cutoff where they say you should we take should b12. have a massive
0: margin yeah exactly you don't even want to get close to nerve damage
1: no so i usually say 500 to 900 is best and you're up in the high 700 so your b12 is great your ferritin looks great as well which is your iron storage and this is a good thing to differentiate with the iron panel hmm. and the reason why i run the iron panel is because ferritin is influenced by inflammation And we can see right under that, that your creatine kinase is elevated, which shows that there's muscle inflammation going on.
0: Unsurprisingly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that inflammation will elevate the ferritin. And if you only look at ferritin, it's going to look like your iron levels are completely fine. Right. Um, So yours look fine, but we know that you need a bit more iron based on the iron panel creatine kinase is just a measure of muscle inflammation the cutoff is 225 and you're at 373 and this is, has been consistent and this is most likely this is called stubbornness people yeah <laughs> it's uh, trying to fit it all in that's right all that physical activity and that's part of the process right those little micro tears in the muscle to build more muscle can only happen when creatine kinase yeah, is you know honestly
0: like to the audience like this is something I've I continue to battle with now I'm getting a little more reasonable I'm I'm aware that I'm not putting myself in a position to actually accrue muscle mass right now if anything I'm holding on to what I have because of how hard I'm training how much output I have Um, you know, you look at Andy, um, different from me, she's dialed on, you know, she doesn't play the sports, but she's dialed on taking rest days Mm -hmm. and she looks fantastic. Right. I think some of us have these preconceived notions that if I do a little less, I'm going to fall apart. Right. And I think what my body's really asking me to do is say, why don't you try to train a little less, see what happens.
1: That's right. And I've been telling you that for years, but, (laughs) uh,
0: (laughs) all good. All good. You look fantastic as well. So you don't
1: have to worry about that. Uh, the AST, so this is a liver enzyme that was slightly elevated. We have seen this elevated in the past as well. And we've been kind of trying to get down to the bottom of this. And my, uh, most educated guess at why this is happening is also because of the muscle breakdown, um, and post exercise. So these liver enzymes can elevate, uh, up to 48 hours after a strenuous workout and, um, there's not really much cause you were saying that leading into this, you hadn't had alcohol for a while as well. Right.
0: N- yeah. Like very minimal. Like we're talking like maybe a drink or two over three weeks.
1: Yeah. So that means that like li- or alcohol had no influence on the liver
0: fructose. Like if I was overdoing it on fruit, I mean, I wasn't having a ridiculous amount of, fruit it would like.
1: have to be like, if, if you were overdoing fructose and not exercising and it was kind of like accumulating um your ast last time in march was a 66 and it's come down to a 49 and so i do believe that it is just a response like i have a feeling that if you didn't work out for a week or two and you didn't do any tennis for a week or two that this number would be we should try fine. that i don't think i've ever you'll done never, that you'll never do that <laughs> no but
0: seriously i should just walk every day like 15,000 fifteen thousand ten thousand steps and you know before our december or march test to see what happens see what the impact is like yeah, maybe i'll I give five days five days of inactive not inactivity but like like we're talking yeah, non-strenuous that's the word i'm really interested to see how some of these things change yeah i would love to see because that. like would that be enough time for the, some of these things to calm down like creatine kinase and stuff
1: it should be uh, yeah 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 your kidneys will uh use well, all my body that. will
0: probably just be so
1: grateful <laughs> to be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you're just swole. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> uh, and then your other liver enzyme, ALT was completely fine at a 27. Uh, the HBA one is differ,
0: by the way. Those two liver enzymes. What do they tell you? Know you know
1: what? Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure like differentiating between the two. I just test both of them at the same time and, sometimes one is elevated sometimes both i usually find if there is like alcoholic liver damage or fatty liver that both of them are through the roof right um but yeah i'm not i can't really answer that right Mm. now uh the hba1c is a three-month average of the blood sugar and this we talked about at the beginning um justin's is a little bit higher than you would picture somebody of his physique and amount of physical activity, but I do believe it's those two factors of strenuous exercise consistently and, uh, stress that are elevate that's elevating that, but it's not at a point. If it was above a 6.5, I would be saying like, we need to get down to the bottom of this, Mm -hmm. but 5.9 is completely fine. The DHEA is the, now we're
0: getting into good stuff.
2: Yeah. These are
1: the hormones so DHEA is the precursor to testosterone that's created in the adrenal glands, and uh, yours is on the lower end. So the range is two point four to eleven, and mm-hmm. yours is at a three point eight. Yikes! And it would eventually be good to see that come up, and I believe that that will bring your testosterone up. And I wish I could show you guys the steroid hormone pathway. I
0: can picture it. I was looking at it the other day.
1: Yeah. And so you have cholesterol turns into DHEA and then DHEA turns into testosterone and then testosterone turns into estrogen. And uh, one thing that can happen is instead of cholesterol turning into DHEA, it can be diverted into cortisol instead. And so that can be a stress response where the DHEA comes down in order to create more cholesterol, more cortisol, pardon me. And then when the DHEA comes down, you can't produce as much testosterone. Uh, so same thing, like if there's more rest and recovery, maybe now that's on a podcast,
0: you'll, uh, you'll, you'll do it. If yeah, more- I don't know what the, it's so weird. Like, it's just a real thing. I know a lot of my members struggle with this. Like we know, I know, they probably have a good idea and some of them probably know that like recovery is good, but we don't believe it. Like in yeah. our hearts, we don't believe it. Like we have to get up. Yeah. Uh, we have to move. So I think, you know, my next challenge Funnily enough, like my F45 challenge should be doing less, right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Can you work out less? I
1: imagine a challenge where there's (laughs) just walking. Um, and then the testosterone, I, I would expect to be higher in you. And I do see this in similar patients where definitely kind of spreading self too thin overdoing it, like entrepreneur, um, entrepreneur training, all that type of stuff where, If you weren't doing so much, it would be higher into the, like, above 25 level. But yours is at a 19. Mine was better before, though, right? It was better, yeah.
0: Which I've, for everyone listening, I've battled with this thing for a while where it's not, like, egregiously low. But it's not at what you'd expect or where I would want it for producing muscle mass and stuff. But last time I was actually pleasantly surprised it was okay. Yeah, And we're talking, like, and you're differentiating between free tea and... and what are the two chilo- levels? So this is total testosterone, total and free,
1: right? Yeah, and then there's free. So your total is at a nineteen point seven, and the range is seven point six to thirty one. And usually, if you're wanting to gain muscle, you you want to see that above a twenty five. Okay. Uh, the last time it was tested, it was at a twenty, and then the time before that, which would have been like the same time yeah. of year, it was a. get twenty one. If I remember, I think so too. Yeah. That's that ring, rings a bell. Oh shoot. Can't find it on the spot here, but yeah, it was, I think it was around a 21. So let's uh, come down a little bit and then we'll go right to the free testosterone. And one thing to keep in mind, if you guys are ever like researching this stuff is in America, these two numbers are flipped. Mm-hmm. When you look at free testosterone, uh, the range is basically what the total testosterone says, and vice versa. So if you're looking on like bodybuilding forms or whatever, it is going to be different than in the
0: states. Hmm. Um, that makes sense because when I'm listening to podcasts on testosterone, I'm often confused and trying to reflect on my numbers, and I'm like,
1: what? I know, yeah, I I realized that uh, not too long ago where they got they have things flipped a little bit, uh, and then your free testosterone is a three sixty three, and the range is one sixty to seven hundred. So on the lower end, as well, there right, and uh I do believe that like if you can hone in on that deep sleep, even it yeah. might come up a little bit more uh and then the same thing like the rest and recovery type stuff and one thing I wanted to mention is that I see in practice is that, and this isn't you know a hundred percent, but I do see that in men when we go through times of stress, our testosterone actually decreases. And women, when they go through times of stress, their testosterone increases. <laughs> and uh, I do, like, I I see it the majority of the time. And, and
0: testosterone have, is not just for men, right? It has benefits for women, right?
1: Yeah, for for women, for preventing osteoporosis, huh. for the libido, for preventing irritability. Like, mm-hmm. there's lots testosterone has a role in. And uh, I've read up a little bit on it, and the only thing that I could find was more based on um, evolutionary biologists and they're saying that if we, if us men spread ourselves too thin, especially through parenthood, it, it comes down commonly. They're saying that it's like, so we don't maim our family, basically. Hmm. I honestly think if you think about parenthood, it's, you know, there's a lack of sleep. There's lots of stress. There's so much going on. And I, I do think it's more that rather than not wanting to maim our children. But <laughs> I, I could be wrong. And then 20, with uh, 2022,
0: I guess, right? Different context. That's right. That's Emotionally, right. maybe it's the same, but, you know, an act, the action, the actions are a little different, hopefully.
1: Yeah. And then with females, uh, and there, there is research behind this where if there was any previous, um, childhood trauma that they're more likely hmm. to have higher testosterone levels in this condition called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And they believe that that is in order to be able to gain more muscle in order to protect themselves Hmm. later in life. Interesting. So Yeah, it is interesting stuff. Um, Your insulin was picture perfect. And this is the main reason why I'm not concerned about your blood sugar. So the range for your insulin is this is fasted insulin. It doesn't make sense to test insulin any other time of the day because, you know, these ranges are based on fasted and you don't want to eat a bagel and test your insulin and somebody else could have ate you know, eggs or something, but the range is 15 to 174 Yours is at a 35, which is honestly picture perfect. You don't want that to be too low because you need insulin to be bringing your glucose levels down.
0: Well, this is the thing. And so diabetics type one diabetics, they talk about not being able to produce insulin. These people can't put on weight because Mm insulin is obviously anabolic, right? Right. So yeah, you don't want to be too low or you're not going to build muscle. You're not going to be able to be anabolic in any sense of the word, right? Yeah,
1: and they'll be hyperglycemic all the time as well. Hmm. And it's very rare to see that low unless somebody does have type 1. Uh, And then what I see is anything above a 50 is when patients start to have difficulty keeping weight off or losing weight.
0: So we talked a lot about this. We actually, Justin and I actually did a podcast. It was beautifully done and technology let us down and funny i had a call come i'm recording this podcast in two different ways and i had a call come in and it stopped this one recording so i'm praying (laughs) that the regular recording equipment works but anyways we went through this great talk on insulin and because we have so many people that we see that have stubborn weight loss they just they crush it they come in now we've talked about a lot of reasons why working out isn't necessarily going to lead to the outcomes you want in and of itself that it can actually be too much of a stressor which isn't good but when we talk about insulin and weight loss let's dig in here. I want to lean into this because this is profound and I think people want to hear it.
1: Yeah. So one really important thing that I see is insulin is never tested. Like I've never seen somebody bring their blood work in and insulin beyond there.
0: And is it a snapshot, Justin, like my insulin, like I know you said the bagel thing, but like, can we rely that like this insulin measure is a good predictor of my kind of health around insulin? Because it is a point in time, right?
1: Yeah. And that's why I do the fasted. It wouldn't be accurate if it was after a meal because meals all affect your insulin in a different manner. So this is gauging your insulin levels in a fasted state between 8 and 10 a.m. is the only time you can get it done. And... What we do is we take your fasting insulin. I should say by we, I mean me. Sure. I take your fasted insulin and your fasted glucose. And there's a calculator online called the HOMA-IR. Mm-hmm. And this is your functional insulin resistance score. And it calculates it. And usually if you're anywhere above a 50, you'll be some degree of insulin resistant. And this has been the piece of the puzzle that's missing for a lot of my patients who come in who like bust their butts and they eat super healthy right. and they can't gain weight. because Or some- lose weight or sorry, gain, can't lose weight. Right. Um, and sometimes it is a genetic susceptibility. Sometimes it is stress. Sometimes it's the weight that they gained brought their insulin levels up. Sometimes they're having too many carbohydrates, could be a deficiency. There's all these different things that could be getting their insulin levels up. And when that happens, when you're insulin resistant, What's supposed to naturally happen is when you eat carbs or sugar, your blood sugar comes up, pancreas pumps out insulin, which brings your blood sugar back down. But when you're insulin resistant, it's almost like there's a force field around the cell and it's actually receptors that are blocked. And when the insulin gets pumped out, bounces off of the cell and floats freely through your bloodstream. And insulin is an energy storage hormone. So when the energy storage hormone is being produced too much, it's telling you we have enough energy. So store energy as either body fat, high cholesterol, higher blood sugar, or fatty liver deposits. And it makes it so difficult to lose weight. So sometimes you actually have to target the insulin in order to unlock the weight loss. Hmm. And one thing that I've seen where I'm, and you guys have probably seen this before where patients are kind of like work, like, working working at their job way too much and they're uh, working out quite a bit and they're eating they're hardly eating and they're spread too thin and they're not losing any weight it's very common for this insulin to be up in like the 150 to 200 Hmm. range and then once we kind of get all those factors because sometimes you need to sacrifice some things in order to let this insulin come down and then you can do all of those things right As if somebody's insulin, if you think about this, somebody's insulin is like a 250 and they are just doing tons of longer duration, strenuous exercises. If they're releasing their glycogen into glucose and they're insulin resistant, their body will tell them to gain body fat. And that is very counterproductive towards
0: what they're doing. I think of like just people like crushing like workouts a week and you know yeah Yeah. work through it I'll work through it I'm an athlete and yeah and banging the head on the wall
1: that's right and sometimes all they needed to do was you know maybe go every other day and take like my main two supplements that I use for insulin resistance are berberine and inositol and you take them with meals it helps you become more insulin sensitive and it helps with glucose regulation and sometimes getting those in there to bring the insulin down will enable future workout success or future weight loss wow. success. Something to right?
0: experiment with with some people. Because I was going to ask you, how do you target insulin? It sounds like recovery, not overdoing it, and maybe some of these uh, supplements you're mentioning.
1: Yeah. 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 There's lots of ways uh, to target the insulin resistance. And then I test, I retested your copper and zinc. Your zinc. Uh, the range is seven to 14.9. And I believe the last time I was tested, it got up to a 17 mm-hmm. due to supplementation. And so now it's, it's still maxed out, but it's not above that range. So now it's at a 14.6. So I've been
0: having zinc by eight, like every other day, every three days. And yeah. I have a zinc copper supplement. I think I sent it to you. That's it's right. A the hybrid.
1: AOR one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And your levels are all perfect now. So you don't have like what you're doing is great. And my main concern is if zinc gets too high, it can start to cause like headaches and nausea and hair loss and stuff. And it also can cause copper deficiency, which I talked about previously, can suppress your immune system and have some other negative effects. And zinc can displace iron as well. So who knows if that low iron is hmm. kind of a um, com- or what's consequence of what was happening previously. Uh, we talked about vitamin D, which is perfect. Your CBC looks great. So the CBC is your complete blood count. It tells you about your hemoglobin, your hematocrit, red blood cell count which are all great those if i can recall we had some issues with
0: white blood cells in the past that seemed to be rectified this time
1: yeah the white blood cells are much better and who that maybe that was the high zinc that was doing that right it's tough to say i think there
0: was some blood maybe there was an rbc like size issue we had too the size of the red blood cells
1: well you know one thing that popped up before and i'm not sure if you remember but i was saying that the reference ranges were a bit off like it was saying that you were anemic but Hmm. it was because those reference ranges for those three CBC uh, tests were kind of way too high, and if you see here, like they're all smack dab in the middle now, so there's no signs of anemia. Good, um, and that is important too because you can have an iron deficiency without anemia, but it's very common in the conventional system to not care about the iron unless you're anemic. Right. But anemia is like a long-term complication of iron deficiency, and you should be treating it before that happens. Hmm the shape or the size of the red blood cells is all good and these usually only get high if you have a B12 deficiency because your red before. blood cells grow in size to get more B12 huh. um, the white blood cell count was picture perfect your ESR the erythrocyte just something we're in Hamilton. Yeah. (laughs) Erythrocyte sedimentation rate was perfect. That means there's virtually no inflammation, especially no inflammation of the blood vessels. And then we have the platelet count was perfect. The platelet volume was perfect. And then the differential for the white blood cells showed no signs of a bacterial infection, virus, or allergies. And, um, I think, you know, summarizing all of that and there are a couple other other tests that we'll do the next time around like your cholesterol but just think about like how much information we got from all of that Right, it's
0: been 57 minutes of straight like jibber-jabber and a lot of curious questions but the reality is the body's an integrated system right like it's it's interesting to hear justin talk about how one thing can impact another And and he's hypothesizing right like we can't hold him accountable say this is the case but we can make a hypothesis based on all of his information and kind of what we know but you know, it's it's all about this continuous kaizen, this experiment of like, how do we refine, optimize?
1: That's right, and this is really the only objective way to know, right? Like, aside from feeling the way you feel, it's always good to be able to see stuff on paper uh, to, you know, be able to compare. Your biomarkers.
0: One question I actually have for you. So I want to talk about this question about COVID. And then I want to talk about um, the supplements I sent you this morning because I'm really curious about your feedback on them. Um, So firstly, with COVID, it seems like from a sort of vascular standpoint and blood cell functionality standpoint, things are okay. It doesn't seem like, you know, you hear about long COVID, like we're seeing any of that, those things. I've had COVID twice for the audience. So I've had it after I was vaccinated in January 2021, vaccinated rather, and I had it uh, before any vaccinations in January 2020. It seems like January was my time. <laughs> uh, hopefully not this year. Hopefully we can go... Uh, right, not that I, one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, are you seeing any signs of COVID in my blood work from what not we're hearing? Not
1: in yours. Like the main things that I would, that I've seen... Whether it's post-COVID or post-vaccination, are actually uh, low white blood cells. Mm-hmm. I've seen that quite a bit, as well as the elevated ESR because that's the blood vessel inflammation marker, right? Right. Uh, and hsCRP, so all of those look perfectly fine, and yeah, I don't see anything um, that would be associated with that. I I have seen that with COVID there are like brain changes that occur, hmm. but obviously we can't uh, test that here. Like you'd need a in functional EEG to see that type of That's stuff. That's a whole nother can of worms. We're not going to go into yeah, right now, but yeah, you yeah. just no, like spark
0: my interest. I know we both have to move I'll on with our days, but it, yeah. um, so let's talk about the supplements I sent you. Cause there's some new ones there for me and I'd love your opinion on them. So I have to actually bring up the picture I sent you. Uh, let's see. Uh, here it is. So there's the Daryl's bars. So, NAC. So I understand NAC is a precursor to glutathione, and it's a booster of us being able to produce more glutathione. Now, this is my understanding of it. I don't know if the delivery mechanism in the tablet I'm taking or the capsule I'm taking there is is good based on sort of how molecularly that, that supplement works, but just for the audience, glutathione is our body's... I wouldn't call it an essential antioxidant because we can produce it ourselves. But, you know, it's one of the most important antioxidants that we naturally derive within our body. And if we have high, you know, amounts of glutathione, we're, ha- we're basically managing oxidation, which mm-hmm. is that bad thing that can happen in cells. Um, so talk to me about any seed if you have any opinion at all.
1: Well, a couple of things I'd say about NAC, it's also good for fatty liver disease and we use it as a mucolytic to break up uh, mucus that's stuck in the sinuses as well. So Mm. it's got quite a few different positive things. But another thing you should know is that they're, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but they're trying to ban it in Canada. From Amazon, I heard too. From Canada. I don't know about American Amazon, but I know uh, their Health Canada is trying to take NAC away. I don't know how successful they are at it, but just watch out for that. The
0: guys on Mind Pump were uh, talking about that and having a laugh about the same conspiracy theory, meaning like if this thing's so amazing and we're at sickness pays, sickness is profitable. Now, I said it. You didn't say it, but it's <laughs> yeah, that's like, right. that's kind of creepy. I know. I should, guys, I should probably stock up on it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Let's remove that though. And let's talk about it in and of itself. Like generally this is a good thing. Like it's not causing me any harm. I'm taking one tablet a day. Maybe correct.
1: Yeah. Not causing any harm. One of the issues is that it's, uh, almost impossible to test glutathione. Mm. You can test oxidative stress in different like specialized testing, but, uh, it's hard to test glutathione. So it's hard to know. And we kind of are depending on the marketing because the people who create NAC are usually the ones who are coming out with the research on it and you'll hear some will say NAC is only effective if it's nebulized like nebulized NAC or nebulized glutathione and some will say that IV NAC is better and I'll tell you the truth I have no clue but you might as well take it to be on the safe side, basically. Okay, good. Not so going to do keep, any harm. Keep it
0: up with this one then. Keep it in the yeah. rotation. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Reservatrol. We all know Reservatrol in red wine. Um, it's a great antioxidant. Um, my lovely lady from Metro was telling me that, like, you know, you don't need to do the recommended dosage on there. I mean, if you're, unless you're having a crazy training day, like, you know, especially if you're taking NAC and especially if you are trying to get your berries in and all that. But, like, I am taking one little Reservatrol capsule daily. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's all good to
1: combat the oxidative stress that you will be just getting through life and uh, the physical activity. Um, there was I can't remember because it's resveratrol extra. I can't remember what that the first ingredient was. I had, I had looked into it. It's not pine bark, but something they would have got the resveratrol from aside from the grape hmm. uh, from the red grapes. But yeah, that that stuff's all good. I haven't seen anything negative happen. And CoQ10? I would say the best thing with that resveratrol too is just to preserve your vision. It's great oh, for okay. the vision, right? Didn't know that one because it yeah. gets the
0: vascular uh, system in your eyes, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, so it's a good antioxidant for that area. How about CoQ10? CoQ10 is great. I'm a huge fan of CoQ10. I would say for somebody your size, you should probably be doing 200 milligrams instead of 100. And i um, One thing to mention is that, uh, and you got you know the sisu one here, which is great. I wouldn't fall uh, into the trap of like getting the most expensive one you can get. There is a lot of marketing with that where they'll say like one is more absorbable than the other, but we'll naturally switch it back and forth between ubiquinone and ubiquinol. Mm. And uh, I've personally. Had great success with my own heart issues from CoQ10. How do you know that? How do
0: do you know that you had a success?
1: Well, I was having, uh, they're called PACs, uh, premature atrial contractions. And um, it's actually been, well, two different major times that I had them. And I would go on CoQ10 right away. And it was just so obvious. And I, I felt better. I don't know how to explain it. Like It's heart endurance. I haven't had chest
0: pain in a long time yeah good. like you know what i mean so like if, if it was all related yeah yeah it's huge
1: and coq10 is the fuel for the mitochondria of our cells and the mitochondria is um like the powerhouse of the cell
0: specifically for the heart or all cells all cells that's amazing because you know mitochondria health we continue to learn like you look at gundry and all that that's what people are obsessed with
1: yeah and if you think about COVID, that's one of the proposed mechanisms of long COVID is mitochondrial dysfunction. Hmm. So CoQ10 is, is huge for that. Huge, guys. So pay attention
0: yeah. to that one. Okay, the last one. Uh, and then the last question I'm going to close on, Justin, if I may, is mm-hmm. just, you know, for the men out there, because I'm, you know, sp- I'm being selfish here. or Maybe we'll ask the same question for the ladies, too, like on, on kind of the female sex hormone estrogen, you know. And I don't know if it makes sense to be like, how do I pump up estrogen? I don't know if that's the right thing, but I know with testosterone, generally a lot of people are low and want higher. What -hmm. of these measurements we looked at today are sort of integrated or linked to testosterone in in which, you know, where my, like, what are, I guess, cofactors, if you will. I don't know if that's the right, or like, you know, consequences of my other levels. I know magnesium and zinc can be important, but like, what's your perspective on, on that? But before I get there, uh, our lipoic acid, uh, so this is something I heard on the Mind Pump podcast. These guys that I, f- I follow as a great antioxidant, uh, a great uh, supporter of fat loss and and kind of lipolysis. So do you have any feedback on our lipoic acid? Yeah, the you can tell me it's crap and I shouldn't take it too. Like that's fine.
1: No, no, no. The it's very it is very similar to NAC. Okay. Right? So I usually and there are some products that have both of them in there, but I'll usually get patients. Um, well, with our our L.A. or similar to A.L.A., I usually mainly use it for neuropathy. Like if somebody has peripheral neuropathy, whether it's due to diabetes or any other causes, Mm -hmm. um, that's the main reason why I use it. But it is a great antioxidant. But what about
0: like strength athletes, right? So people like that are crushing workouts, right? Because I'm I'm imagining you have people like us in here, but you probably serve a lot of gen pop, right? Yeah. So are there, with these supplements we're going over, are there different types of benefits that people who are training super hard can get, or is it like generally this is a neuropathy thing? That's really what it's, you for. know
1: what I, I, there probably is a l- more research behind like the strength training. I just haven't looked into it cause it hasn't been what I was looking at it sure. for. Um, so yeah, I can't speak on that, but I, I have more into like ergogenics, like the arginine and carnitine and stuff. Cause like I
0: take arginine too. That's another thing that yeah, we, Andy yeah. and I are both taking. Actually we put yeah. in our workout shake.
1: Yeah, that and creatine. like Those are the more strength training supplements that I have looked into. I just haven't looked into RLA for that.
0: What's your opinion on arginine?
1: Arginine, as long as you're not combining it with a crazy amount of caffeine, can be a good thing. Ooh,
0: that's interesting because I'm (laughs) having it after my espresso. And sometimes my strength training caffeine tablet of 200 milligrams. So tell me why that's bad.
1: Well, arginine
0: is a vasodilator,
1: right? And so vasodilators can drop your blood pressure. And if you're stimulating your heart with caffeine at the same time, just picture what, what's happening. It's there,
0: basically two right? different signals.
1: Yeah. You're stimulating your heart and dropping. So
0: then should I be taking my arginine kind of after hours? Like doesn't need to be part of my workout shake? Or is it like have an immediate effect and I want it like...
1: The arginine doesn't need to, it's only the BCAAs that would have to be taken very close to the workout. The arginine sh- can be taken anytime, as long as you're supposed to be getting about three grams a day of it, right?
0: Okay. So this is, this is huge. See, this is why we do this guys.
1: I have an article, the risks of pre workouts, and I explain.
0: Oh, don't you guys started today. me and Andy? Like we make our own pre workout, oh, yeah. meaning like we we deconstruct it, but like yeah, buying yeah. the stuff that's like commercially marketed with all the caffeine and stuff, we don't even go there, and we we advocate against it. It's a waste yeah. of money and it's dangerous.
1: It is dangerous, and I have like clinically, I've had patients like. Uh, not passing out by that uh, impending sense of doom where they feel like they're about to have a heart attack. And you don't want to get to that point, right?
0: No. And you know, caffeine, the reason I take the tablets is because it's been shown to really help with strength training. I'll never take a caffeine tablet before. Um, cardio although i will find that if i've had one before say tennis i'm dialed like mentally i'm dialed and i'm, I'm aware what yeah. you need in tennis
1: and there's lots of research on caffeine with endurance training like it's, yeah it is amazing in fact sure. that,
0: you know it, it's really true like i've been like telling my members like don't have it before your cardio workouts i don't want your heart rate way up but you're right like they are there is amazing studies on uh endurance training with caffeine yeah and like fat lipolysis and and all those sorts of things.
1: Yeah. And I think the main risk is when you're getting into those powders, where you're getting like 500 milligrams of caffeine and it's got citrulline and arginine. So Taurine. double whammy to drop your blood pressure. Right. Uh, so those are a little bit, uh, risky. And, um, to answer your question about the testosterone. Yes. So stress is a huge one because we can divert away from DHEA production to produce cortisol instead. Zinc is another big one which we didn't talk about uh, but you are on that zinc copper combination and it's especially important to notice know that you don't have a zinc deficiency. That deep sleep is important as well because that's when you're producing the growth hormone. Uh, Avoiding burnout is another big one because why would your body produce a bunch of testosterone if you're I don't know, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but burnout is a survival mechanism, right? It's telling you, like, don't have energy or motivation because we don't want you frolicking in the fields in front of a bunch of predators. And so when you get burnt out, the testosterone can definitely come down because the adrenal gland's not producing that DHEA properly. And that burnout is kind of synonymous with adrenal fatigue, right? Both of them are kind of thrown around there. And then if you look at a lot of the testosterone boosters... A lot of them are geared at blocking DHT. So there's an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase that turns testosterone into DHT. So a lot of them block that, like saw palmetto, um, maca, I believe, as well. They also will decrease cortisol. So a lot of them will have ashwagandha in Hmm. there to help prevent cortisol uh, production. And then... Yeah, that, those are kind of the main two ways that they target. And then some of them have aromatase inhibitors. So they're trying to pool as testosterone instead of converting it into estrogen. That's kind of how the supplements work. And then a step beyond that is the bioidentical testosterone, which is kind of between the supplements and the test- TRT. Bioidentical testosterone is usually prescribed by nurse practitioners. Some NDs do so this as like well. like TRT therapy? No, it's, it's actually, it's made from wild yam and it's a cream that they're able to standardize. And instead of bringing hormones into your system, they're able to just satisfy the testosterone receptors. So your body will do what it's supposed to do with testosterone. Yeah, it is really cool stuff. And then if those two things don't work, that's when I'll usually recommend looking into TRT. One of the issues with TRT though, is most family docs won't refer somebody to an endocrinologist for it. Unless your testosterone's below an eight. Mm. I find anything below a 15 will have effects on your mental health. Right. Like you'll have irritability, depression, lack of motivation. Yeah. That's and why i have been a jerk. <laughs> I think we're all, we've all been jerks lately. It's been a, been a crazy year. Um, and then anything below a 12 is going to affect more of the physical stuff, like the erectile dysfunction and libido right, right, right. and that type of stuff. Right.
0: So, Yeah, I want to be mindful of time because we're wrapping up here. Zinc and magnesium, last question. Any relationship to to testosterone? Zinc and
1: magnesium. Definitely zinc is a huge precursor for testosterone. The magnesium, I would say indirectly, because if we're using magnesium to bring cortisol down, then we can allow testosterone production to occur. Let me just see if there's anything on my quick list here. (laughs) Da, 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 da yeah I think we got everything covered there
0: cool man well hey Justin like your time is super valuable and thank you Um, obviously this is personally really important to me and I hope the audience is now encouraged that they should be doing this type of thing themselves because there's so much information imagine not knowing all this information and just continuing to pound your head on the wall right and like well why is this not changing or why do I feel this way there's a plethora of information here talk to me a little bit about how people can engage you um, get in touch with you so you are in Hamilton you're on Sherman and Dunsmuir
1: Dunsmuir and Sherman. Correct. Right. So um, how do people work with you? Yeah, just go on my website. It's just www.drjgnd.com. You can book online on my website and I am offering in office as well as virtual or phone. Cause I know everybody's very busy these days. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. You can always send me an email. My uh, email's at the bottom of my website and, um, yeah, I'm obsessed with blood work and helping people optimize their health.
0: And hey, like he definitely is, and he's a wealth of knowledge and a great guy too. And sure. uh, you know, just remember, guys, benefits cover a lot of this stuff. So if you have benefits, uh, make sure you're maximizing them. That's right.
1: And I, just uh, before we end too, if you don't have benefits and you want to get blood work done, of a, a thorough round of blood work like this is usually around like. 150 to 200 max right so it's definitely worth it it. yeah it's a pair pair of jordans basically right
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right my friend well have a great day team uh hope you enjoyed this we will see you on the gym
2: floor thank you so much for listening to what the f45 podcast we are so grateful for your time if you loved what you heard we would appreciate if you could rate and share this podcast with your friends and family to spread the health and wellness word with the world until next time